As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Tuesday night, uh, November 8th, right around 6 p.m. Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast is back with me. And uh, we're here to tell you about Miami's 45-3 win over Florida State. The Hurricanes played unbelievable. Uh, just, I mean, up and down the field, boat racing. This imp- oh, wait a minute. The other, it happened the other way. Yeah, yeah. This is the uh, we were we we're about to do the multiversal version of what occurred on Saturday night, and as a yeah. result, as you can see, I am I am rolling with the winners <laughs> today. I've got my Miami Dolphins cap on. I am on Team Tua, uh, Cheetah, Waddle. Let's get it done. Forget the rest. Yeah, I I actually was watching the Dolphins game on Sunday, and I tweeted out Miami touchdown. <laughs> uh, right after the Dolphins scored, and I said, "Man, it just, it just, you know, I wanted to be able to type that because it's been nine quarters now since uh, Josh Gaddis's unit has found the end zone." Uh, remember, I mean, basically thirteen oh four left in the second in the third quarter. It feels like it was it's back in in the year thirteen oh four, the last time they scored. Yeah, um, Miami's offense has been horrid. Uh, I I looked up after the game. I think they're averaging fifteen points a game versus Power Five teams now. Um, this entire season has gone to shit, Carlos. Um, at this point, there's three games left. They're four and five. Odds are they're not going to win another game. When I told you after the Middle Tennessee State game, I was afraid they might go four and eight. I really was hoping I was wrong, but it, it really is beginning to feel that way right now. Oh, God. And, and I hate it when you throw things out at me like that. And you peel my parade and then you end up being right because then it, it really depresses me. Um <laughs> Because you know what, I felt like there could be a bounce back at some point. I thought maybe you know, obviously the loss to Duke was embarrassing, but I thought maybe eight turnovers. You know, that's an anomaly. That those things are never going to happen again. Then you you beat Virginia. You think that maybe this team is coming together. Maybe they're you know Tyler Van Dyke's coming back. Maybe he'll be ready to play. You know, home crowd Saturday night, FSU rival team, and and you just get boat raced and get slapped in the face. You get mollywopped is what is what happens and. To me, it looked like uh, Florida State was playing Madden 22 and the Hurricanes were playing 10-yard fight. That That's the way it looked on the field. 
Well, it's funny you bring up the video games because I actually tweeted out. Uh, I, I was able to break into Miami's offices and get a, a the entirety of Josh Gaddis's playbook, and it was four plays from Tech Mobile, uh, the original Tech Mobile. Yeah, if only you had picked the one with Bo Jackson, so you could just run around and make plays, which is kind of like what Trey Benson did anyway. Yeah, uh, he he looked like Bo Jackson against Miami. Seventeen missed tackles in the game. Miami gives up. Uh, I don't know, a boatload of of big plays to Florida State. I mean, it was just disastrous all the way around. Mario Cristobal goes on the radio uh, Monday and says, he's angry. He's going to fix this. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I'm, not that I'm tired of Mario because, you know, at this point, we got to get used to him. He's going to be here for a long time. But I think all of this bravado, all of this sort of, hey, we're going to get this right, um, it's going to wear on the fan base, right? It, they're going to get tired it's of hearing It's already wearing on the fan base. It's, all, it's, it's already wearing on me, and I'm supporting the guy. Right. Um, so I think at this point, shut up and win is probably the the uh, instead of shut up and dribble. I know today's Tuesday and people are voting uh, instead of shut up and dribble, shut up and win. Right. That's what I think most people want to want to hear out of Mario's mouth. And unfortunately, Carlos, again, um, you can sit there and point the fingers at the coaches. They certainly deserve it. I mean, you go nine quarters without a touchdown. That's on your offensive coordinator. You got to figure out a way to get points. You keep giving up big play after big play after big play. Kevin Steele as good a job as he's done, you know, fixing some of the problems Miami had defensively, still not getting the job done. Um, and you get paid a lot of money to do it. And you're not doing it. Yep. And to me, the the issue with that bravado and, and with the, you know, I get the mentality and I, and I love the fact that he's, he's tough minded that way. And he, he, he believes in his program. He believes in his system enough that he feels that at some point they're going to get it right when they get the right guys in here. The problem is that, one, when you are so stubborn in your approach to the way you you've approached the media, you approach the fans, and don't relent in the fact that you continue to point out point your resume out and say, look at what I've done in the past. Like, yeah, bro, all that's great, but how about you do something now? And and the most embarrassing part about this is you've got a coaching staff that was assembled in this offseason that was supposed to be one of the best in college football, if not the best, one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive in college football. And a ton of experience. And what have you gotten in return? You have gotten very minimal player development. You have gotten a team on Saturday night that was not prepared to play their biggest rival, that was not ready to match the energy and intensity of Florida State, and got embarrassed on their home field. And to give you just a little bit of a glimpse into like uh, how, how unprepared these guys are coming into the game, you put out Tyler Van Dyke into the game. We talked about this last podcast. I told you. I don't think he could last all game if he does start because that's a sensitive area and it's his throwing arm. And there are going to be hits flying around that game because of the intensity and the, the energy and the, the the emotion. And you don't have a backup plan in terms of a game plan ready to go for inserting Ja'Curry Brown if that's what you were going to do. All you had was Wildcat quarterback power and then throw the ball down the field every once in a while. Like, that's it. You didn't have an, any any kind of a game plan prepared for Ja'Curry Brown should he have to enter in an emergency or even Jake Garcia. And I mean, it's it's like, and the defense, how are you being fooled by basic shit? They didn't run anything complicated in Miami. All they did, all Florida State did was whoop their ass on the line of scrimmage. That was it. There wasn't anything complicated about it. They just beat them and manhandled them up front. And that's embarrassing because that team shouldn't be 42 points better than you. Well, uh, you know, Monday's press conferences with the coaches were, were kind of illuminating. Josh Gaddis uh, basically said, look, I came down to the field th these last two games to try to have a positive effect. It's not having a positive effect at all. And then he basically said, guys need to play with more selflessness that, you know, they're too worried about stats, et cetera. You know, I, I can't argue with them, right? I mean, look, you have guys like Keyshawn Smith, 
who didn't even play in that game. Okay. And, you know, his mom's posting stuff on Twitter uh, before that. I mean, there is a lot of infighting. There's a lot of sort of finger pointing and blame um, that's not pretty. So the offense is a mess. And then, you know, defensively, you talk about tackling, right? Like how how important that is. Uh, You know, uh, Kevin Steele comes out and says, yeah, they ran counter on us 32 times. Which basically just says, look, they shoved it down our throats. They kept running the same play, and it didn't matter what we did. We didn't stop it. And all those things were just so embarrassing, you know, for the program as a whole that I I wonder, Carlos, like, how do you not make changes at the end of the season when it comes to the staff? As much as they spent on them and as much as they committed, like, at at a certain point, like, when you say things like that, it's almost like you're you're, you're just admitting, hey, we failed and and, uh, we're, we're waving the white flag. Yeah, and I mean, I told you Saturday night, I, I texted you and, or when we talked after the game also, I said, listen, I'd fire both coordinators after this game. i just do it because I, I, you cannot come off of this loss and, and just stand pat and face everyone and say, hey, our plan is working. Don't worry. It'll take time. It's going to fix itself once everything is rooted out and we have the right culture and the right guys in here. This isn't about right culture, right guys. Dude, you were barely prepared to play a Pop Warner team Saturday night. That That's not... What we're what we were expecting here, okay? If you are a high caliber coach and you're a high caliber staff, you find a way to at least get a performance out of your team that is respectable, a disciplined performance, a performance with some energy. If they're better than you are, if they out scheme you, fine, that's great. Hats off to them. But to come out and lay an egg and just lay down for Florida State to do whatever they wanted with you up and down the field on both sides of the ball is ridiculous, and that falls on the coaching staff. And those comments by by Josh Gaddis lead me to believe that what people are saying is true, that he can't connect with these players. He can't find a way to motivate these guys. They've all come in with a little bit of uh, an ego, a chip on their shoulder, these coaches, and expected these and force-fed these systems and these schemes to these kids down their throat and have done no sort of work on building a relationship and trust with these guys. And you're seeing the end result. These guys are now not trusting their coaching staff. They're at odds. They're obviously not playing to the full potential because they don't believe in what they're doing. And the coaches don't believe in them either. So they're swapping guys in and out and benching guys that could be contributing. So to me, it's it's just a situation where if you don't move on from them now, you got to move on from them at the end of the season. Because I think at the end of the day, there's just going to be too much bad blood left over, even though there's probably going to be barely anybody left on this roster from this season at the end of the season come next year because of the turnover. But still, I, I don't know how you can feel confident going in with both coordinators next season after this performance and after the way things have played out this season. Yeah, it shouldn't have gotten this bad. At some point, you were hoping improvement from certain players, and it's just it's just not happening. Um, you know, look, I, I talked to a lot of people. I was sort of preparing for for when Miami lost to Florida State to come out with a story about why Miami has been me- in, mired in mediocrity for the last uh, couple of decades. And I spoke to Joe Zagaki last Friday. He's been around since 1979 calling Miami Hurricanes games, part of the broadcast team one way or the other. Um you know, I, I reached out to Roddy Jones, who who played at Georgia Tech. He's he's been on this podcast several times. He's an ESPN analyst for uh, the ACC Network. Um, I spoke to Brian Monroe, uh, you know, former punter who's with WQAM. Um, spoke to Malik Rozier, who to this day is still the only quarterback since Ken Dorsey to lead this program to ten wins in a season. So I, I, I talked to quite a few people in the last week just about what needs to change, and, and eventually my story is going to come out in the Athletic probably sometime tomorrow, or if not Thursday. Um, but I mean, I hit on a lot of different sort of topics and I know we, we touched some of this last week, Carlos, about what needs to change, but 
I, I wanted to kind of throw some of this uh, stuff out there uh, as we're as we're sitting here talking as sort of subjects, and, and we'll get into a mailbag here in, in a little bit. But this is, I mean, this is a quote, um, you know, from from Roddy, because uh, I asked him. I said, Roddy, I said, you know, have we gotten to the point now with Miami being as bad as they are that I don't know, maybe maybe things aren't going to change. Like maybe there's just no way out of this. And and uh, you know, he he thought the Hurricanes were going to go eight and four this year, even with Tyler. So while the rest of us were thinking maybe nine or ten wins, he thought eight wins at best. Um, but this was his response to me. He says, "Let's be honest, we're kind of getting to the point where you have to ask yourself: Did Miami just catch lightning in a bottle for twenty years? Because outside of those twenty years." And it was the highest of highs. It's not like Miami is a program with a history or tradition like, say, Tennessee, where 20 years of mediocrity can be excused. Miami is almost the opposite. We get excited about Miami because we remember the end of that 20-year period. And people older than me remember the middle to end. But my brother doesn't remember Miami winning at all. And he just got out of college. I mean, how much longer does Miami get the benefit of the doubt? Maybe this is who they are. Your response to that? <sighs> As painful as it might be, he's he's not too far off. I will say that what the Hurricanes were able to create in the early 80s through the 90s was an anomaly because the the ability to recruit South Florida, the competition in recruiting South Florida, the competition when it came to TV money and TV deals, NIL, and all the stuff that that is now part of the modern game, the facilities and all that stuff, it just wasn't what it is today and what it ends up being over, over time after the Hurricanes uh, had their run in the 80s and 90s. And then we were able to pop one off in 2001. So they were doing more with less um, and were able to do so because the arms race really hadn't started in college football the way it went off in the early 2000s all the way through now modern college football. So to be able to get back to that level, they had to invest money in the program because there was no way they could do it the way they did it originally. Yes, the original way they did it, catching lightning in a bottle, you know, with the facilities they had. Uh, over it in, in Coral Gables with no practice field, really with holes all over the place, no real weight room, no real locker room, no facilities, all that kind of stuff. That's never going to happen again. So that's why they had to invest the money. Now, the problem is that you are going up against um, a bunch of teams that are established programs with more money than you probably, more uh, history, more recent history of putting guys in the NFL, more recent success, along with their tradition and along with what their atmospheres are like. So you're competing with all these things in an era where kids now are different than they were before, where before it was about the competition and winning. Now it's a lot more about the, you know, show me love and, and being uh, coddled and being given all the attention. And a lot of these places can offer that in a better way than Miami can because of the way the, their fan bases operate in their small communities. Um, it's just a lot, man, a lot to compete with. And the bottom line is to be able to get back to that mountaintop, it's the chicken or the egg. You got to win before you can get the players, but you need players to be able to win. Um, and I don't think we're ever going to see winning at that level again, a dynastic kind of team down here in Miami. But we can get back to respectability and make the college football playoff every few years, compete for a national title once every five, six years. And I said it before the season. I told you, do you think Miami fans would be okay with Mario being Jim Harbaugh and having that sort of a record and that sort of a tenure here in Miami? Very successful. But it's not a dynasty. It's not national championships. It's okay. We made the playoff one time. Probably gonna make the playoff again this year, maybe. Um, and that's the way they are. And then maybe we'll sneak into the title game and, and win one here every once in a while. Can fans be happy with that? Because I think that's probably the reality moving forward. 
Well, I, I looked up Roddy. You know, I, you know, I'm a numbers guy, and I love to share that stuff with the fans here. So I will do that for our listeners, both on on YouTube and and with the podcast whenever they download it. But so Miami football, 1936 uh, to 1982, the 46 seasons previous, um, they averaged five and a half wins during that time period. Uh, they were four and four in bowl games, seven AP uh, poll finishes, uh, 13 first round picks. Uh, 13 Pro Bowlers, five All-Pros, three NFL Hall of Famers. Um, Go back to this current period, which is the last 19 seasons, Um, going back to 2004 when Miami joined the ACC. Miami's averaging 7.4 wins. The win percentage is under 60%, just under. Uh, Bowl record, 3-11. Six AP top 25 finishes, 12 first-round picks. 13 Pro Bowlers, four All-Pros, obviously no Hall of Famers yet. Maybe Calais Campbell will be the, the next one in terms of this era, the modern-day era of, of the last 19 years, post-championship years. Um, all right, look at look at from 1983 to 2003, okay? And I, and I went to 2003 because that was right before they got to the ACC. Uh, Miami averaged 10 wins in those 21 seasons, 83-and-a-half win percentage. Um 12 and 7 bowl record, five national championships, 20 AP top 25 finishes, I think nine in the top five, uh, 40 first round picks, 32 pro bowlers, 13 all pros, six Hall of Famers. Seems like Roddy's right. Yeah. And and it it again, it comes down to the chicken and the egg. You need the players to be able to to have the success because look at those numbers. You basically um in those 20 years had more pro bowlers, first round picks. And first round picks than you did in those two other eras combined. Yeah. And and look, obviously the coaches shop for the players. Okay. So does John Ruiz now. But you know, ultimately the, the the coaches are the ones that are supposed to be shopping for the players and bringing them here. And um, you know, that's that's the most important thing. And Joe Zagaki, to his credit, when we had our conversation, um, and and again, if you want to read the complete story, it'll be on the athletic website later this week. But essentially he said. Uh, probably the same reason when I asked him, why is it that Miami's struggled so much to win in the ACC? It's probably the same reason Texas, Florida, and USC have been stymied roster management. Football is always a battle of attrition. Miami loses the battle of attrition. They don't hold on to their players. Therefore, your roster is never properly layered. They've never used the word rebuild, but they've always been rebuilding it without saying it, trying to meet these impossible standards. Um, So, I mean, ultimately, look, <laughs> like you said, maybe they got to be happy with just having a couple of 10 win seasons every now and then, and maybe getting into the playoff with this expanded playoff. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's the thing. So Mario's plan and, and so far the way the recruiting class is shaping up is it heading in the right direction in terms of the way his vision is, which is break this thing down to the studs, right? Turn this entire roster over, deal with a terrible year, bring in as many transfers as possible next year, land a top 10 recruiting class, top five, if you can, um, and then build off of that and keep that momentum going. And if he could load the roster with that kind of talent, then he's got a shot. The question then becomes is, is it enough? Mm-hmm. Does he have enough on the coaching side to be able to outcoach those guys um, at Georgia, at Tennessee, at Alabama, um, and, and you know, at Clemson, and, and become one of those staple elite programs that are competing for national championships and playoff spots year in and year out? Or is it going to be one of those things where he's good, very good, like at Oregon, um, and then maybe once in a while squeeze into that playoff and, and compete for a title. Um, who knows? But I mean, the problem with this season is 
not just because of the expectations, the way we came into this, expecting Mario and this coaching staff to flip things over really quickly because of the talent that we believed was on this roster. The issue now is because of this disappointment, because of the way you've broken down to the studs, the bounce back next year better be big. Because if it's not, if it's seven and five, eight and four again, then people are going to be very pissed. And, and then it's going to start really snowballing. Because if you had us go through, let's say it ends up being four and eight, five and seven, and then you come back and go seven and five after a major roster turnover, then questions are going to start flying around. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it can't go back to being just six and six, seven and five. He's going to have to have a, a successful season. And again, I expect the full roster turnover. I've said this on the show multiple times now, 35, 40 guys on this roster probably at least are, are not going to be here next year. Um, I, I just think there's going to be major roster turnover. You take advantage of that 18 month window that you get as a new head coach. Ultimately, the school has to uh, cover the scholarships for the kids who, who maybe don't play football anymore or they head in the portal and you're able to use those those ships. But, um, you know, I, I just think it, it's going to take a major sort of turnaround here to get this thing rolling. The offensive line is a disaster. Um, you know, another injury, Jalen Rivers, basically done for the season. You're, you're down to, uh, you know, John Campbell at left tackle and, and Ja'Kai Clark, the only two sort of original starters uh, from the season. Um and, and so that's an area where if they're going to play this style that Mario wants, they've got to get that better. Um, and I think, you know, it, it takes me back to sort of one of my key six points that I have in this article that I wrote. Mario ultimately is going to have to marry the talent to the scheme or marry the scheme to the talent, right? One way or, the, or another, it has to be the right fit. And, and you know, Roddy is of the opinion that, you know, he's got to kind of look at what he's doing with this roster and say, I, I can't run – the ball with big burly linemen and big physical running backs like they maybe did at Alabama or Michigan or when he was at Oregon because he just doesn't have those guys, right? The recruiting base is not naturally that. I know Francis Maui Goa, I know Samson Okulola, if they happen to get him, um, you know, and those guys actually come here, they could they could do some of what Mario wants to do. But even next year, it's hard to imagine that you're going to be able to revamp this offense enough where you're going to be able to play exactly the way Mario wants next year. Yeah. So, I mean, what you have to do is obviously you have a system, you have an idea or a vision of how you want to play on offense and defense, and you try to stick as close to that as possible as you can, but then you also afford changes based on what you currently have on your roster. And you make some adjustments to fit your personnel and put them in the best scheme possible to win and to be successful. And I think like we talked about before, Mario's ultimate goal, I think offensively is to look like Georgia, but Georgia seems a little bit more innovative than we do on offense. And they use the same sort of personnel groupings. They use the same type of run schemes and passing concepts. They're just better at getting into them and finding uh, ways to get their weapons to football. And, of course, they have a great offensive line and some really good backs. But it's it's there if you build to it. And uh, I understand Mario wanted to come in with this culture and, and this hammer-down mentality right from the start. But I think the lack of creativity and the lack of ability to get the playmakers the football this season has been damaging. And I think the the thing to me that's most shocking is you've got Mario in year one already having three hugely embarrassing losses um, in a time where you felt like he was going to right the ship, not sink it. So you've got that Middle Tennessee loss, you've got the eight turnover game against Duke, and now you've got this ass whooping by Florida State, which to me is, is incredible. If he happens to miss a bowl game, now year one of Mario is clearly worse than year one of Manny Diaz. And and you're thinking to yourself, what do we get into? How is this gonna gonna how is this laid the foundation for success moving forward? 
And it better be a big bounce back, I'm telling you. And I think at the end of the day, he's got to find people in the transfer portal. He's got to find guys that fit his system closely, but also be able to adjust that system a bit to fit his talent and, and work with what he's got. All right. I want to get to a mailbag. There's one thing I do want to discuss. And I, and I mentioned this in my article on Sunday, which is, you know, my takeaways. I think at this point uh, we saw that Tyler's not a hundred percent. I know Mario said he's getting better, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I couldn't play that kid with his arm in that state. Um, Jake no. Garcia is unplayable. He's got seven turnovers in three games. Yeah. Uh, you can't really do much offensively with him. I know it's a shame you, you would have liked to prepare. I have to go with Jacurry Brown going forward. I, I just think his legs, the fact that he can actually create something for you um, with his legs and, and potentially his arms, if, if you can get the defense to, to bite on the run, maybe that gets you into the end zone. You're able to score some points against Georgia Tech. But I, I just think right now um, that's the quarterback scenario to me. Which, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think at this point, um, Jake Garcia's confidence is shot. He's for some reason just turned into a, a turnover machine, and and it's it's sad to see because he's a talented guy, and it's it's now in his head. So it's better just to shove him for the off season, get him mentally prepared to compete for the starting job next year if that's the case, and go from there. I wouldn't play Tyler like you said. Just it, you don't want to risk a kid's career uh, if he goes out there and he gets hurt in a serious way and it requires surgery. That could impact his long term future, and you don't want to do that to that kid. Um, I think Jakuri is the way to go, like you said, because of the fact that Jake's been become a turnover machine, Tyler's injury. And I think it also adds a dimension to the offense that they need at this point um, to get them into the end zone and get them scoring some points. That one drive where Jakuri was in there and they got down to the goal line and then the snap happened where uh, uh, I think it was Jakai Clark snapped it early and went through Jakuri's legs and Florida yeah. State recovered. That was such a shame because he had done such a great job on that drive and it looked really good. You know, you hope to see some of that again in the coming weeks to see him develop as a quarterback and as a player. You just don't want to get him hurt by running him 45 times a game either. Well, and, and you know, uh, Gaddis mentioned how Florida State clapping, you know, defensive linemen or, or linebackers clapping, I guess, led to the to snap there from Jake. Again, this guy's Bro, a, fifth, listen, a, four, a fourth year guy. This shouldn't be happening. This is the kind of crap we're dealing with, right? You guys are one of the highest paid coaching staffs in college football and dudes clapping is throwing your team off. This is the kind of dumb shit, forgive me, dumb shit that is highly embarrassing for this program. You paid all this money, you invested in all these coaches that are supposed to be gurus at every position, and clapping is your kryptonite. Get out of here, bro. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, let's dive into the mailbag. I have one on the athletic website, and then I also sent a message out on Twitter. We'll start with Twitter because I'm going to respect the, the guys who follow me there on social media first. Um, this is from Armando um, Isaguire, uh, AY2 Mondo on Twitter. Our fans are rational for not seriously considering the number of injuries the team has had. The line and running back room are decimated, and we act like we know what Gaddis should be doing. Okay, I, I can tell you this. Gaddis's offense should not look like 10-yard fight. Again, that's I can tell you that. I can understand the offensive line is decimated, yes. But there are players there that are playing. They're Division One players. They earn scholarships as well. They were recruited. They were highly recruited. And they've been plugged in there. And they can, at the very least, know how to zone block or run basic schemes. They haven't been able to do that. They should also know not to snap the football when the opponent claps their hands. Um, these are basic things. You should also be prepared as a coordinator if your quarterback, starting quarterback is hurt, to have a specific package ready for your backup once that guy goes down to implement it immediately so the backup feels comfortable and knows what you're running and gets you some sort of flow on offense as opposed to just running the same three plays over and over again. I get all that stuff. You still had Henry Parrish. You still use Jalen Knighton. The running back room might be decimated, but you have two blue chip players at running back there. You've got some talented wide receivers. You didn't use Colby Young at all. All these things are factors that play into what the hell are we doing? And I get it. I believe it. Listen, I'm with you, man. I understand the injuries. I understand being rational. But Saturday night was not rational. That was not reasonable. That was just a disgusting display. And there is no excuse for it by the coaching staff or the players. Yeah, I agree with Carlos and a lot of those sentiments. And I'll add this. You know, it, it, it's one thing. And, and there's two different ways I want to head here. But one of them is. You know, Gaddis on 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 Monday tells us because I asked him, you know, how do you prepare? You know, it's it's not normal to go into a game week saying we're going to get three quarterbacks ready, right? I mean, that's just it's a Mickey Mouse operation. I don't care what you tell the media; you're yep. lying to them about you know who's going to start and whatnot. The reality is, Gaddis basically said, "Yeah, we didn't know Tyler was starting until Friday, right?" Like, so to me. Like at some point, there has to be an adult in the room who makes a decision. Hey, this is our quarterback this week. This is who we're preparing. He's healthy. If Tyler can somehow come back, great. He knows how to play quarterback. But we need to invest all of our energy into getting Jakari or Jake, whoever it is you decide. Somebody has to get the majority of the reps, and there has to be a game plan. Like You can't just go to the end yep. of the week and say, we think we're going to do this with this guy. And we're gonna... like No, you have to invest time and energy into that. The other aspect is the other criticism. Okay, yes, the injuries are legitimate. I'm not arguing any of them. In fact, I am the one who brings them up the most. Um, yes, you're the Mario apologist. I, I would say this: like 
I don't know how you go an entire game without Will Mallory ha- being targeted once, right? And this is yep. supposed to be a, a, a tight end friendly offense. And then the other aspect is like Colby Young, you're on the end zone. <clears throat> Get on the ball. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a way to, to to give your guys a chance to win. At the very least, you see an attempt, and we didn't see an attempt. And if you're going to go ahead and start running um, Ja'Kari Brown 15, 20 times, and if you're going to try and, and hammer the ball down and protect the football and try and use muscle Florida State up front, then how about we use three tight ends then? Throw Will Mallory in there. Throw Jaleel Skinner. Throw Dominic Mamorelli or Khalil Brantley or somebody else in there and use those weapons as, as versatile as they are to not only plow people up front, but also use their athletic ability when Florida State goes heavy and reduces their defense to beat them down the field. All right. This is from uh, Mark Wads, W-A-D-Z, on Twitter. Does this story have a happy ending? Knowing what we know now, does this staff get us to 10 wins, and how long does it take? Listen, I'm still optimistic that this will turn around at some point. To me, the – the real telling sign is going to be next season when they flip this entire roster over and they get their first full recruiting class. Let's see what it looks like at that point because the excuse has been all season that they're not cooking with their own groceries. Now that they get their own groceries, handpicked guys from the portal, guys from the you know from high school that they've wanted and they're highly rated. Now let's see what you do because apparently you can't mold guys that aren't that great that you didn't pick up. You need your own guys. You're going to have plenty of those next year. Let's see what happens. Um. I'm of the opinion that it could eventually end with a quote-unquote happy ending, meaning a 10-win season or a trip to the ACC championship game. But I'm I'm no longer saying national championship at this program, uh, and and I felt that way for a while. I thought it would it would take Mario, um, and some elite recruiting through him to get this program back to that kind of level. But I'm not convinced that he's hired the right staff and the right people to execute I don't think so either. With, with a lot of money. And I, and I, and so to me, this isn't a national championship winning program as, as currently constructed. Like you, if you go out and you get 50 great players, I'm still not convinced they'd go out and win the championship with this coaching staff. Yeah. And I, I think part of it is not just schematic. I think it, like you, like I was saying earlier, I think there's a lack of uh, connection between the players and the staff. And there's some, I think some of that is ego based. And I think what you need to do is, Find some guys that can connect with these kids that are smart guys. It doesn't have to be a high-priced staff. It could be a bunch of guys that know what they're doing, that connect well with the kids and recruit their asses off. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be big names all over the place. Another thing I would say is they got to get rid of this entitlement. It's not going to be easy with the NIL era and you're going after high-profile kids. But, you know, talking to Malik Rozier, and this is a part of my story, he's like, look, our 2017 team that won 10 games, right, and got to the ACC title game, it wasn't as talented as the 2014 team or the 2013. Like there were other teams that had more talent on it. But the reason that team won in, in Malik's words was they played for each other. There wasn't like this, this ego of, Oh, I got to do this for the NFL. I got to do that for the NFL. Maybe that was the case afterward when guys decided to leave early for the draft. Right. But I think being the quarterback back of that team, he had to have had a good feel for it. And his feel was, Look, we were unselfish, and that's a big part of this. And and I believe that. When the coaches say that, when Josh Gaddis says that, I don't roll my eyes and say he's making excuses. Yeah. I, he's telling I the truth. Um, But I, I think that's an overarching symptom through all these coaching staffs in the last 20 years. I remember Randy Shannon telling me, you know, I recruit these guys. Now i got to unrecruit them. You know, i got to kind of take the four- and five-star mentality out of them. And I think they're right. And, and, and something Roddy Jones brought up was, you know, he remembers playing against Miami. He never feared them. 
Like, even if they had really good players, and he was he played against Alan Bailey in high school, being a Georgia guy. He played against, uh, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong and Sean Smith. He respected them, but he never felt like Miami was unbeatable. And I think that's because Miami didn't just have great players in the 80s and 90s. They had great players that played together. And that's 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 how you win. And that's, that's again, the anomaly, the lightning in a bottle. You got a bunch of guys that not only were really talented, but a lot of them were local, and they all played for one another. And, and where they formed a brotherhood in a way that has not been seen at this university ever since. I think the closest that's come to that is that 2000 to 2003 run um, with those guys being very close as well. But outside of that, it's like we've said a lot for a long time, man. There's no leadership. There's nobody that you point to to say this is a guy that brings everybody together. This is a guy that'll stop uh, the bleeding if there's a run going on by the other team. If you're down and you've got to come back, this is the one that's going to lift us up and pull us together. You don't see that on the field. All you saw on Saturday night, you didn't see one single guy pull the team together and start yelling at him and doing what Ed Reed did up at halftime, kicking Florida State's ass, saying he's hurt and they're not dominating enough. You didn't see one guy pull the team together and say, hey, listen, this is unacceptable. We need to get off our ass, and we need to start hitting these people and playing hard. And it doesn't matter what the final score is, but we cannot go out the way we're going out. So we're going to take it one play at a time, and we're going to try and whoop their ass each play. And whatever the score ends up being, that's what it ends up being. But we're not going to go down like this, like a bunch of punks. And nobody did it. This is from Crom's Riddle on Twitter. There seem to be two arguments on our roster quality. One says Mario inherited a great blue chip ratio and should be better than most of the ACC. The other is the current players are weak and we have to rebuild. What is the real story? Well, like any good story and any good angle and any good argument, there's always two sides to it, right? Um, I'll say this, and I've said this, Carlos. I mean, this has been repeated by me. You've heard me say this many times to you. Um the recruiting rankings to me, unless you're a top 100 ranked player, I don't care what the next 200 or 300 players are ranked, that they're four stars. Like, to me, that's for selling subscriptions. We know every year in high school, right? Like, we know who are the real top 100 players in high school football, the guys that are as close to camp miss as possible. And to me, if you're not a consensus top 100 player, odds are, you're just another guy and you're just as good as a three star or or a hungry two star that can that can surpass you. Look at Mason Taylor, right? Um, Jason Taylor's son. Goes to LSU as a true freshman. He's got 22 catches, makes the winning catch against Alabama. He was a three star. I mean, look, I, I have respect for Andrew Ivins and for all the guys who do these rankings because it's not easy. But he's a three star, right? He doesn't count as a four star for LSU. So does that does the blue chip bullshit matter? Yeah, it matters when you get to the top 100. It doesn't matter when you cloud it with the, the next three or 400 guys. That Doing this for 25 years, that's my opinion on this. And I think, uh, you know, it's funny because it's timely. I just saw a clip today of, of Derek Jeter on the Drink, the Drink Champs podcast. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, you know, how baseball has become overly analytical. And it's too analytics driven. And he says, if you want to make a decision, you obviously want as much information as you possibly can have to make the, de- the best decision possible. But at the end of the day, there's one thing you can't measure, and that's a person's heartbeat. You can't measure a person's heart, a mentality. None of those things are part of the blue chip breakdown. You don't list uh, you know, mentality and mindset next to broad jump and 40 time, right? There's certain things that require you to get to know these guys on a level that's outside of a highlight tape or a stat sheet. And that's the type of recruiting that Miami did for a long time was getting to know these guys and getting to know if they're a Miami guy. And that's the difference. You can have all the blue chip ratios you want, but if a dude's a punk, he's a punk. If he looks like Tarzan but plays like Jane, that's a problem, bro. 
you got to go out there and find dogs, whether they're a two-star, a three-star, or a four-star. And yes, if you could find the four and five stars that are dogs that have that mentality, even better. But if you got to go to the three stars, guys, you need to develop, but have that mentality, that mindset, and then you can mold into something. Then you do what you got to do, but you got to fill those. You get the the roster needs to be filled with all types of guys like that, not just blue chip, highly rated guys, but also some of those guys that are on the bubble of being a four star or the three stars that have the right mindset and mentality and are willing to attack each and every day to be the best they can. I agree. Um, I, I this is part of my story as well. I'll share it. Uh, since 2015, there's been 45 high school seniors from Dayton Broward ranked in the top 100 nationally of their respective recruiting classes. Miami's gotten nine of those recruits. That's basically 20%. Um, and they brought two of them home, Frank Latson and, and Tyreek Stevenson, that, that obviously signed uh, with Georgia and Clemson. Um, of course, not all of these guys are, are upper-tier recruits. I mean, look, Mark Pope was a, a rival's five-star, never reached his potential at Miami. Uh, transferred to Jackson State, he's not even on the roster anymore. The reality is, when when a guy's ranked number one in, in South Florida, he's usually pretty good. Okay. And and look, these are examples. This, this is what I mean when Miami has to win locally. Um, 2015, Calvin Ridley, Alabama. 2016, Nick Bosa and Brian Burns, Ohio State and Florida State. Okay. They're two first round picks in the NFL. 2017, Jerry Judy. 2018, Patrick Sertan. Both of those guys went to Alabama. 2021, Dallas Turner, Alabama. 2022, Shamar Stewart was playing a shitload at Texas A&M, okay? Those guys were all the number one players in South Florida. Miami didn't get any of them. Didn't. The two the two top guys that they got in South Florida here in the, in the last couple of years was James Williams and, and Leonard Taylor. And I know James Williams has had his miscues here and there. Leonard Taylor's playing better this year. But again, yep. like, if you keep the best player home every single year, odds are you're going to have what you need and you're not going to be crying about guys leaving from home. But at the same time, don't just take locals to take locals. Right, exactly. And I think that's what Mario is doing is getting his national, leveraging his national recruiting ties to bring as many guys as he can that he thinks fit his system, his style, and the type of guys that he wants, and just also up the talent level here. I mean, it doesn't have to be married to South Florida. If he doesn't find what he wants on here, he could go outside and find it, find it somewhere else. All right. Um, this is from Tyler Overly on Twitter. Tell us something, anything, that will give us hope this gets turned around. I leave that to you, Carlos. Something that will give you hope that this gets around. Um, well, first of all, after the last game of the season, it can't get any worse, right? They can't lose any more games. So that's going to be better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there should be a top 10 recruiting class coming in if they all stick around, which supposedly they look like they are. So that's going to be better. Um, I can tell you Mario is going to go out there like it's Publix and start get a shopping list going and travel the country looking at other teams' programs and start cherry-picking people from the transfer portal. I can tell you that's going to help. Um, it's going to be better next year. Now, to what degree, I can't tell you. I don't know. I don't know who's going to be left on this roster. I don't know if Jake Garcia and TVD will be here next year, and it's all falling under Curry Brown, and if he could lead the team as a, as a second-year freshman or as a sophomore. Jaden um, Rashada, baby. Jaden Rashada. Or Jaden Rashad. Who knows if that guy's going to be ready to start as a freshman? I don't think he will be. But who knows? So I give you hope, man. Uh, I can honestly say I don't think it's going to be as bad as this year. So next year should be better than this year. How much better? I don't know. All right. This is why I'm going to give you a sense of hope, Tyler. We haven't said his name very often because he's really behind the scenes. But I'm going to say Alonzo Highsmith. Okay. And and I'm going to say Alonzo Highsmith because he's been a part of several NFL franchises, the Packers, the Seahawks, the Browns, that have had some success bringing in really good players, 
He is working with Mario. Mario is not the only guy making all of these decisions. And I think his connections with the NFL is going to help Miami in a sense of finding coaches to help replace guys on the staff. And and I think more than anything, he loves this program. He's not going to stand for, for this thing being what it is. Alonzo's going to work his ass off too. It's not Mario alone. I think he has a very good sounding board with Alonzo Highsmith. Now look at you. You're being the the bright one today. You're being the one that's optimistic in the ray of sunshine today. This is weird. It's freaky. It's freaky Tuesday. This is from Danny. Hey, Mr. DJ 21 on Twitter. Which coordinators coaches do you see leaving outside of high school recruits? What position should we focus on for portal additions? That's kind of a loaded question. Um, I think portal everywhere. I'm not going to sit here. I mean, you you can't. (laughs) I think there's not one position that you're like, all right, cool. No. Um, As far as coordinators and coaches. Look, Kevin Steele tells us every Monday when he sits there, and he's done talking to us how much he loves being here. He wants to be a part of it with Mario. I don't I don't blame Steele for the problems that Miami's having on defense as much as the, the personnel. I feel like he, the scheme is much better than it was under Manny. I thought Manny was too careless, too aggressive. He didn't have the, the linebackers and the players to, to, to tackle and to rally and to play that kind of aggressive scheme. I think eventually Steele's had success at different places. Auburn was a good defense when he was there. Um, at Clemson, I know it fell apart, but this guy's been around a long time. I like older coaches, and and I and I don't sense scheme as much as individual breakdowns with defense. Offensively, I'm, I think Gaddis will be gone, and, and so will probably some of his assistants. Because whenever a new coordinator comes in, he's going to bring new assistants with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen to me. I agree with what you're saying with Kevin Steele. My only issue is. <clears throat> You've had the same mental bus week in and week out with your safeties, and you've been running these, this zone system the last five, six weeks, and there's been no improvement. You got your ass physically manhandled up front. Your defensive line, which was the strength of your team, which is one of the best in the country, got physically destroyed Saturday. Um, that's not schematic, but as a coach, you also have to have your guys ready to play, and that to me has been an issue. And uh, I, the fact that he got a little snippy last week when they asked him about giving up big plays and explosive plays – in the past game, and he tried to act like it wasn't that big of a deal, my man, be a little humble. Understand where you're, where you're going through and accept what, you're, what you need to correct. Um, offensively, you know, I, I'd like to see Frank Ponce get elevated. Hopefully that's what happens if Josh Gaddis leaves. If not, then like you said, I think a lot of guys are going to end up leaving. There's going to be a turnover on the coaching staff in terms of the, the offensive system. Now, I don't see Alex Mirabal leaving. That's Mario's guy. So whoever comes in as a coordinator, if it's not Ponce, is going to have to take Mirabal, and they're going to have to be okay with that. We'll see what they do. Um, I know this, and, and Roddy agrees with me. Mario likes the scheme. This is what he wants to do. And, you know, Roddy suggested that maybe he needs to go after Phil Longo, the North Carolina uh, offensive player. Oh, that guy's amazing. That guy's great. And bring him in to, to, to run this offense and, and to be behind it all. Um, all right, this is from Aces and Canes, JW Aces underscore Canes. Mario gets zero pass for this debacle of a season, but how much can be blamed simply on the injuries that have eaten this roster alive? Gaddis hires a failure. No way around that. It's obvious he can't scheme to players. He has thoughts on the injury impact. Again, we kind of touched on this. I, I think we're not glossing over the injuries. No, like if if Zion Nelson and all these guys were were healthy, let's say let's say there were no injuries on the offensive line. John Campbell's probably your right tackle. Um, DJ Scaife is your right guard or vice versa. Jalen Rivers is your left guard. 
and you're probably averaging 150 to 170 yards rushing with this group. And that probably gives you one more win. Probably you probably don't lose to Middle Tennessee State or Duke with with a better offensive line in my mind. Well, with the eight turnovers, I don't know. You probably don't turn it over eight, eight times, and, and you turn it. You do five. <laughs> you turn over five instead of eight. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Daniel. Uh, I had gone back and forth about coordinators with Carlos, but I'm curious. Do you guys think Mario will actually make the changes? It seems obvious he should, but I wonder about the possibility of him believing they just need to replace players to fit the scheme instead. This is from Dan T O W three three eight six on Twitter. I, I don't see Josh Gaddis sticking around here. One, I think it'll probably be mutual, but I think at the same time, Gaddis does Gaddis wants to get away from the stink that's been left down here with this offense. Because if he continues to do this and they continue to fail, it's going to diminish his profile and his ability to get a head coaching job. Um, so he's going to want to bail as quickly as possible, either for a coordinator job at a power five uh, with a higher profile school or to get a head coaching job somewhere else. <clears throat> I think they'll have to make the change when Gaddis leaves. And I think there is... This system to me can be good. Like we, like I've said with Georgia, it can be nice. You can run really good stuff out of it, but it has to be a little bit more creative and you have to use your personnel better than what you're using it right now. Um, as far as Steele's concerned, I mean, who knows? Who knows if, if he's going to stick around? Uh, maybe this this season takes his toll on him. He's not a young guy. And he says, screw this. Yeah, I'd love being in Miami, but doesn't mean I have to coach down here. I'll just keep the house and chill out. <laughs> All right, this is from... Uh... Valar Doharis or the underscore realization. Who are the freshmen from the 2022 and 23 incoming class that are primed for significant playing time next year? Well, I, I'd say just about everybody on the offensive line yeah. could potentially come in here and play right away. I would say Francis Maui Goa for sure. Um, you know, I would think Kinsler is probably a guy who's got the body uh, to come in here and play right away. And then in terms of the, the 2022 guys that are already here, I mean, you know, I think Ja'Curry Brown or Jaden Rashad is probably the starting quarterback. You'll have Wesley Besaint starting at linebacker. Um, you know, you'll have Nigel E. Kelly uh, starting most likely at one of those defensive end uh, edge rusher spots. Um, you know, I don't know about receiver Isaiah Horton. I don't think he'll be ready yet. Um, certainly Trevante Citizen will be a major, you know, if he can get healthy, he'll be a, a starter in that backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, or a heavy, heavy rotational guy. Um, you know, secondary. I think a lot of the guys in the secondary, Kormani McLean is probably going to play a whole lot if he signs here. Um, I, I would think that that's going to be an area you'll have a big influx of uh, of influential players. He's going to have big shoes to fill, though, replacing DJ Ivy. <laughs> well, listen, man. And, uh, and the penalty machine that has become Tyreek Stevenson. Yeah, certainly. Um, all right, a couple more, and then we're going to wrap this up. This is from Andrew V underscore 17. Could you see a situation where TVD and Garcia both leave this offseason and Miami goes after a transfer portal quarterback as a parcel, as a possible starter next season? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. there's cer- certainly that scenario that that pans yeah. out. Um, I think TVD will be given the option to come back if he wants because I think they do like him. I think if he's healthy, they would prefer uh, to play him, but at the same time, too, he's got to do what's best for himself. Yeah, and I don't think he sticks around. I don't think this is the system for him. Um, Zoe Freshnell Jr. on Twitter, I feel that Mario made a mistake by not hiring an OC that's also a quarterback's coach. 
even more with new players coming in with more of a dog mentality? Do you think Mario should adjust the way to coach up these new age athletes? Not every player on your roster is built tough. I know you you, you kind of hit all those. The one question in there is, did he make a mistake by not having his OC be the QB coach? I mean, people do it different ways. I prefer to have the OC be the QB coach as well because they're basically uh, supposed to be the offensive coordinator on the field. So you want that tight connection between the OC and quarterback, but you you have meetings with the OC and you go through game planning and you go through stuff. It's not like you aren't dealing with the OC on a regular basis and going through what you're going to go uh, through in terms of game planning and play calling uh, come game day. I mean, it's it's really a matter of, of preference. I don't think it makes that big of a difference, but I just have a preference for having the quarterback's coach be the offensive coordinator as well. All right. Um, I'm going to take one out of the mailbag here. Uh, realistically, how long of a climb does Miami have till they are a top 15 team? Well, I think you're probably not top 15 till you win 10 games. I would say the earliest that that happens in my estimation is 25, 2025. Uh, I think you'd probably be top 15 with nine wins. So maybe next year, depending on the roster turnover. Um, but, you know, consistently top 15. Yeah, probably two years from now. All right. Well, listen, I uh, I appreciate you doing this with me, Carlos, as always. Uh, and, and we'll ask uh, our listeners to uh, subscribe to The Athletic if they can read all my stories. I've got a bunch of different things that I do for The Athletic. It's not just Miami. I wrote a, a story about Drake May that will be coming out uh, later this week, who, by the way, Drake May rated lower than Jay Garcia as a uh, quarterback. That is, that is insane. And to me, like when we talk about Phil Longo, I know that's a great idea by Roddy, and I would love Phil Longo. But why the hell would Phil Longo leave North Carolina to come here? Money, money, money. Yeah, man. But you know what? Drake May's money too, baby. He is. <laughs> he, I'd rather coach that dude to a Heisman. I agree. I agree. Um, Carlos, thanks as always. Our listeners, make sure you, uh, again, subscribe to The Athletic. Subscribe to Carlos's podcast as well, the MIA All Day Pod. And uh, check back in with us next week. I'm supposed to be going to Atlanta if I can get out of out of the city with this storm coming. Oh, so. what a shame. You're not going to be able to get out of here go to the, the game over there in Atlanta. What a shame. <laughs> I know you're depressed about that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right, I, will try and, I will try and be a little bit more upbeat in my content this week, but uh, no promises, friends. Sorry. It's been a, it's been a crappy week since Saturday, yeah, and I'm angry at the world. It's not been good. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Peace. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.